we presented a couple messages last night. Uh, we're going to kind of uh, pick up where we left off. And so this is message three. And, uh, uh, and so this message is Jesus Christ, the truth. And uh, we're pivoting off this verse in John fourteen six. Now, Ray, Brother Ray wasn't here last night, and so he asked me if I could uh, uh, just cover some of the things from last night, and I told him no. <laughs> um, but it's interesting, you know, in, in John fourteen six, uh, in the response to Thomas, uh, uh, his question, the Lord says... Uh, I, on my part, it's emphatic, uh, I am continually the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so today we, uh, we want to focus on truth. And, uh, you know, you can see today uh, in society, there's a lot of folks that have a problem with truth. <laughs> uh, well, we're going to... We're going to look into a few things uh, uh, regarding truth and, and the truth. Oh, I, I, I forgot to hit this. John would have flagged me here in a second. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> okay. Okay. The PA is not great, so just try okay. to talk into it. Okay. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let, let's open with a word of prayer, and we'll just get right into the word. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Uh, we're thankful for all those that are here. Uh, we thank you for your Holy Spirit uh, who illumines, illumines us to your word and the truth. And we pray that your spirit might have his way today. Uh, may we be blessed and encouraged through your word. May we gain a further appreciation for our Lord and Savior. And we would thank you in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> and so if you have the outline, you can see... Uh, uh, the attribute of truth. And so I went ahead and I put Dr. Schaefer's definition here for the attribute of truth. Um, truth is that divine attribute of God by virtue of which each person of the Godhead fully answers to his estimate of what he is. He sees himself and others as they really are. Because of this, he is perfectly reliable in the revelation of himself. And so, you know, an aspect of, of God's truth is that God is faithful. He's, he's always accurate in his estimation of himself and others. And so, you know, when we think of truth, a lot of times we can think of truth uh, simply as seeing things as they really are. Uh, you know, there's something that's uh, opposed to that uh, in today's society. It's not really new. Uh, but it's called uh, relativism. And so relativism is a belief uh, that there's no absolute truth. Uh, only truths that are particular uh, to an individual or uh, a culture that they happen to believe. Uh, but this is nothing new. This is nothing new at all. Um, uh, you could go back and you could look at uh, Pilate's interaction with the Lord. Uh, and he's questioning the Lord uh, and he ends up, uh, in response to the Lord, he says, what is truth? <laughs> kind of inferring that, yeah, uh, you might have your own truth. Uh, but there is a thing called absolute truth. 
And when we're relating to God's word, uh, we have objective truth. And so when we come uh, to John 14, 6, and the Lord says, I on my part, I am continually the truth. He's actually making a claim to his deity. Um, he's the very uh, sum and embodiment of truth. Um, everything about him uh, uh, was in line with truth. Uh, it was the announcement of his deity. Uh, in his very person, uh, he is truth. And, um, you know, we can see, you know, one of the things we can see uh, during Christ's earthly ministry is what did they have to believe? Yesterday, or last night, we talked about the gospel for initial salvation. What we believed uh, in order to be saved. But what about earlier than that? What about during Christ's earthly ministry? Uh, Well, let's go to John chapter 8. And I'm going to just pick up in verse 24. I'll pick up in 23, but this is basically what they had to believe during Christ's earthly ministry. And I believe that uh, uh, if they believed this, uh, they were going to make it to the day of Pentecost uh, to receive uh, uh, their uh, New Testament content of salvation. And so anyway, let's take a look here. Uh, verse 23, and he said unto them, uh, and so this is Jesus unto the Jews, you are from below uh, or beneath. I am from above. And it's just out from above. I am out from above as the source. You are out from this world. I am not out from this world. Now what I'm doing is that when I'm changing the of, I'm emphasizing a little Greek preposition, ek, um, I'm not trying to overemphasize uh, the Greek, but I do like you to get these little nuggets because this is a, a little itty-bitty Greek word, ek, but it has great big theological significance. And uh, it just means out from as to source. And I believe it adds a little bit of uh, richness and depth to what's being communicated uh, as the Lord says this. And he says, uh, I am not out from this world as to source. Uh, he goes on and he says... I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins if you believe not that I am. Now I know your King James adds the ellipsis, he. You don't need that. (laughs) He's actually making a claim to his deity, the I am of Jehovah, the the Old Testament. And he says, uh, if you believe not that I am, you shall die in your sins. And so, uh, you know, when he states that he is continually the truth, uh, that was another claim uh, to his deity. In his very person, he is truth. Um, Let's look at a couple verses. uh, uh, Well, uh, verses you'll be familiar with, I'm sure. Let's go to John 1.14. And we'll come back to the the idea of the word um, in the second message this morning. Um, We'll be visiting uh, verses 1 through 4, dealing with the eternal word. But here in John 1.14, and the word um, 
it says, um, uh, came to be, it just uh, became flesh, and t- tented among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten, the idea of the unique one of a kind, uh, of the Father. Now the of there is a Greek preposition para, which actually means from alongside. And so just literally uh, the, the unique one of a kind from alongside the Father. It's pointed to, to where he uh, formerly was and where he came from. He says, full of grace and truth, uh, filled to the full. And, uh, uh, and so he became flesh, though. And so the eternal word, he attached his person to a physical body and a human nature. And he tented among us. Uh, let's look at uh, John 1.17. I'm just going to drop down without uh, developing more of the context for time. Uh, It says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came by the King James. Just uh, It came to be through Jesus Christ. And so before the incarnation, there was grace and truth, uh, but never to uh, the completeness, to the extent... uh, Uh, to the complete embodiment uh, that we have grace and truth through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when uh, uh, when we're relating to objective truth, absolute truth, uh, you know, the results of the fall were very significant. Uh, You know, that's an important study for us as Christians because I think it gives us a further appreciation for what God has uh, provided us through the sending of the Son. Uh, we can see um, corrupt minds, and so I, I titled this uh, point two on the outline, uh, Corrupt Minds Can't Handle the Truth. And so that's a little play on uh, a movie uh, where we have a, a, a character say, you can't handle the truth. And, uh, uh, but we can see here uh, corrupt minds... They're, they're, they don't want to relate to the truth. And so as an example, let's go back to John 8. And we have uh, a couple groups here in John 8. And we'll be back uh, into John 8 dealing with the truth. But for here, first, I want to start in 837. Uh, <clears throat> And so this group, I believe, are the unbelieving Jews that are in this group. And, uh, and so they, they don't understand what he's previously communicating about regarding the truth. And so we're going to come back to that in just a little bit. But the, the truth there is he's explaining how in the future they could be free, set free from serving the sin nature. Now, they don't understand that, but we'll come back to that. So in verse 37... The Lord says, I know that you are Abraham's seed. Uh, and so the idea of here, um, physical descendants. But you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. Now he's going to tell them who their spiritual father is in verse 44. Uh, and, uh, uh, and we'll see that he's talking about the devil. 
He says, They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Now, Jesus said unto them, If you were Abraham's children, just born ones, uh, kind of implying more than just the physical seed, um, you would do the works of Abraham. And so Abraham wasn't their spiritual father. He was their physical father. Now remember, we all are born with a sin nature. That sin nature comes through our physical father. Uh, that's one of the reasons the virgin birth is so uh, important uh, to the fundamentals, uh, is because when he attached, the Lord attached his person to a human nature and a physical body, there was no sin nature. But we all have uh, a physical father, and so uh, we all have a sin nature. And here, uh, uh, the Lord's pointing that, this out, that this goes back to the fall. This uh, connects him spiritually to Satan, to, to the devil. And he says, but now you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth. Uh, he says, which I have heard uh, of God, and it's just from alongside God, para. Uh, this did not Abraham. Uh, you do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, uh, We be not a fornication. Um, uh, we have one father, even God. And so, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're lying. They're seeking to kill him. Uh, a man who had told them the truth. Uh, that's their response to the truth. And Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, talking about your spiritual father, you would love me. How they were responding to the Lord would be the same way that they would respond to the Father. He was the perfect representation uh, of, of God in flesh. He says, For I proceeded forth and came... Uh, from God, and it's ek here again, out from God as the source. He says, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. He says, why do you not understand my speech? And this, this understand is uh, actually our Greek verb to experientially know. Why don't you experientially know my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? Now, before I read this next verse, hold your hand. We're going to come right back here. Um, but if you would turn with me over uh, to 1 John 4, 6 here. I don't even think I have this in your outline, but uh, let's go to 1 John 4, 6 and um, just make a little connection here. Now here, John, you know, he's talking about Christians when he says we, uh, he says, we are of God. And this is the ek preposition. We are out from God as to source. He that knows God, it's just literally the one hearing God. Um, and, and so he that uh, experientially knows God is hearing us. He that is not out from God hears not us. And then he says, hereby, or just by this, we experientially know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And so coming back uh, to these unbelieving Jews here in 844, 
he tells them outright uh, the truth, uh, why they can't experientially know, they can't understand, they can't comprehend the truth. Uh, he says, you are of your father, the devil. The of here, it's another preposition. You are out from your father, the devil. He's talking about spiritually. In the lust of your father, you will do. You desire to do. Uh, he was, and this is an imperfect verb, he continuously was a murderer from a beginning. And he abode not in the truth. Uh, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks, not a lie, but the lie. And so the lie... Um, you know, there's a number of places in the New Testament where we, four, I believe, we have references to the lie. Uh, the lie goes back to Satan's lie that man can be equal with God. Uh, the, the, create, uh, the creature can be, uh, uh, reaches full potential or its full potential independent from God. You know, this is what Satan believes about himself. Uh, he, he believes God was holding him back. He believes his full potential was if he was left in, to his own devices that he could be uh, on par with God. Uh, when he tempted Eve, uh, he, he tempted her to be like God in a, in a certain way, uh, and he completely deceived Eve into thinking that she... Uh, uh, could reach a full potential independent from God. And so, uh, so when he speaks the lie, he speaks of his own. And again, the ek preposition, out from his own. Uh, kind of the idea of uh, out from his own standard, out from his own belief. Uh, we, we, could, we might say that uh, the devil was uh, the father of relativism. <laughs> and so when... He speaks the lie. He speaks out from his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. And so here we, again, we, we see they're not able uh, to comprehend, to come to uh, an understanding of, of truth or the truth. Now, for time's sake, I'm going to have to keep an eye on my time. Um, uh, point B in your outline. Uh, I probably I'm not going to go here to Romans 1:18, but you have an example from fallen mankind. Uh, you know they hold back. Fallen mankind's holding back, restraining, suppressing truth by uh, by a quality of unrighteousness. And uh, so you can see that in 1:18 and verse 25, we see they changed the, the truth of God um, um, by, by the lie. Um, uh, but, you know, uh, fallen mankind has no excuse, and uh, you can see that in that context. But I'm going to move on uh, in our outline just so I can spend more time in a couple other places. Um, you know, last night we talked about the gospel for initial salvation, and that's uh, how God saves us is through that specific gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, in particular verses 3 and 4. You know, when we, did, when we did that, when we were given the faith and we believed that, uh, we were interacting with truth. And so, 
you know, we looked at this verse last night, but let's go ahead and take a look again at 2 Thessalonians 2.13. Uh, we didn't emphasize truth at that point. And here Paul says, but we are bound to give thanks always uh, to God, the God, for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen, uh, or has from a beginning chosen you to salvation and by sanctification from the Spirit and belief of the truth. Now, here truth is an Arthur's, just belief of a quality of truth. Uh, you know, when we related to that gospel for initial salvation, we were relating to truth. You know, there's a number of things that are implied, you know, when we believe that Christ died on behalf of our sins. <laughs> you know, there's some things there that uh, are implied to believe that. We have to understand, for one, is that we couldn't pay the penalty for our own sins. Uh, two, he was qualified and capable of taking our place and making the payment. I mean, so, you know, th that implies uh, also uh, that he's deity, and so there's a number of things there, but we were interacting with truth when we believed the gospel for initial salvation. Um, we, we could also take a look at Ephesians 1.13. And so I'll point out here the, the word trusted in verse 12 in the King James. It's actually uh, the Greek word for hoped. And so let me read it that way. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first hoped in Christ. So we have a reference to in Christ. Uh, the reason I point out the word hoped there is because that's going to be the word we want to supply by ellipsis in verse 13. In whom... You also, not trusted, but hoped. You see that's uh, in italics. And then it says, after, or just, when that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom, talking about in Christ, also, after, or when that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And so here we have a reference to, uh, to the Holy Spirit, and, and we looked at some of those verses uh, last night, the, the upper room references to the promise of the Holy Spirit who would come in that date. We know that day is the day of Pentecost, and in that day believers would experientially know, and we focused on the two, uh, that you and me, Christ said, and I and you, the two sides of positional truth. And so the believer is in Christ by spirit baptism. Christ is in the believer by regeneration. And the Holy Spirit makes it possible for us to experientially know that. Um, but here, uh, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Um, and so we crossed some of these verses last night. I'm just going to mention them as we go by. I don't think I'm going to go back to them. But the Holy Spirit... Three times in the Upper Room Discourse, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Truth. And so that's not insignificant. Uh, we see him first uh, reference to the Spirit of Truth in John 14, 7, or excuse me, 14, 17. Um, 
that's the verse where the, the Lord was saying that the Holy Spirit is alongside you but will be in you. Uh, and so um, the spirit of truth. Uh, in John 15, uh, 26, we see that uh, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, would be witness uh, concerning Christ. Uh, in sixteen thirteen, uh, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, would guide the believer uh, into truth. And that word guide, it's an interesting word. Uh, it just literally means to, to lead the way. And so the, whole, the spirit of truth would lead the way into truth. Uh, and we know truth. Uh, let's go. Let's go ahead and go to this verse in John 17. Um, you know, John 17 is a very important chapter because we have uh, this recorded communication uh, between uh, Jesus and the Father uh, in John 17, and it's just loaded with uh, important tr- truths for the Christian. And so, uh, in verse 17. The Lord here says, uh, sanctify them. The idea of sanctify, set apart them, uh, not through but by. Uh, I've just translated instrumental. It's an end preposition. Uh, Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so that leads me, um, I want to talk about something we find in Scripture that we'll refer to as a body of doctrine referred to as the truth. And so when we start putting things together, this is how um, we're going to understand what the Lord is speaking about in John 8. Now, we read the context after uh, these, uh, this section. Now we're going to go back and r- read the interaction that the Lord uh, had prior to 837, where we picked up. But we're going to go back and read 832 through 836. And so here, the Lord says, and you shall know the truth. And the word know is to experientially know. And so you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It's going to set you free. Now we're going to have to pay attention to the context to understand what this freedom that he's uh, telling, that they, telling them that they could experientially know. And so they answered, we be Abraham's seed <laughs> uh, and were never in bondage to any man. Uh, so right off the bat, they're not relating to truth <laughs> because they happen to be under Roman rule as they say this. And so we see a problem with truth right from the get-go with this group who's responding. And um, how sayest you, uh, you, uh, you shall be made free? And so they're, they're not understanding, they're not comprehending what the Lord's speaking about. But here we, we can see uh, he's going to tell us. In verse 34, uh, Jesus answered them. He said, verily, verily, we just say, truly, truly, I say unto you. Uh, the King James, who, whosoever, uh, it's just a pasha. It's just everyone, not committing but doing. It's a, a present participle. Just everyone doing sin is a servant, and this word for servant is a slave, a bond slave. 
So what he's saying here is everyone doing sin is a bond slave of the sin. Now he's using the articular sin the second time to describe the sin nature, the sin principle. And so what he's saying is everyone doing sin is a bond slave of the sin nature. Now this is going to be important because this is what he's talking about. The truth is going to set them free from. He says, and the slave, uh, the, the servant is just a word for slave in verse 35, abides not in the house forever, just unto the age, but the son abideth, or just remains at ease unto the age. Now he says in verse 36, if the son therefore shall make you free, what is he talking about this freedom is from? Serving the sin nature. You shall be free indeed. And so a human, a fallen mankind, could not be set free from serving the sin nature until he had completed his crosswork, ascended to the Father, and the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit who would come and apply the benefits of the crosswork to the believer. And so we... Uh, uh, looking back and having been saved, have the potential to live free from serving the sin nature. Now, one of the things that I struggled with early on in my sin nature, or not in my sin nature, but in regards to the sin nature, is I sat under some teaching that sometimes I heard that uh, as Christians we didn't have a sin nature, that that had been dealt with at salvation, and we just had bad habits. That's not uncommon in Reformed theology. Uh, but the, the truth of the matter is, is we, as long as we're in these physical bodies, we have a sin nature. But in Christ, God counts us to have died to it. See, that's the, that's the thing is, we died to the sin nature. The sin nature didn't die. So how can we live free from the sin nature if we still have a sin nature? Well, it's by grace, of course. But God gives us, he gives us, he's given us everything we need to be free from serving the sin nature. But we see that we're going to have to put our position in Christ into practice. Uh, and so we talked about some of uh, uh, that yesterday. But let's, uh, let's go ahead and um, go to Romans 6. Romans 6, this should be a chapter that all of us become extremely uh, familiar with. Uh, the Christian life, uh, in a lot of ways, uh, the successful Christian life is going to begin with Romans 6. Because the sin nature, you know, we have three spiritual enemies, right? The sin nature, the devil, and the world system. If we're carnal, if we're pertaining to and having the characteristics of the flesh, if we're not having victory over the sin nature, Satan doesn't need to attack us because he can just manipulate us. Uh, and when we're carnal, we're already in a wrong relationship with the world system. And so, you know, the Christian life, when we stumble, we fall. We get to go back to go. We have to deal with the flesh all over again. And so that's why we, we should get real familiar with 
Romans 6 because we got to come back here and put this into practice over and over. And so coming into Romans 6, let me go to Romans 6, 17. And we can see here that there's a, a body of doctrine for the believer to practice that's going to make it possible for the believer to be free from serving the sin nature. And so in Romans 6, 17, here Paul says, But God be thanked. And I'm going to point this out uh, to our Greek guys. Is The word thanked there is grace. It's charis. And so how do you, how do you say, but, uh, but uh, you know, grace is to God? Because, uh, and so what, how I like to handle this, it's, uh, it's gratitude for grace. I'd like to get grace in there when it says, but God be thanks. It's, it's gratitude for grace to the God. He says that, or just because you were uh, slaves, the word servants is the, our Greek word for slaves, you were slaves of the sin, the sin principle, the sin nature. He says, but you have obeyed, you've listened under it and responded out from the heart, that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Now, this is important because the word doctrine here is didache. Didache is a doctrine for belief and practice. You know, not all of the word of God is for our practice. All of the word of God is for our belief. But God has specific things for specific groups for practice. And this word here for doctrine is a doctrine for belief and practice. And so here he's talking to these believers that they obeyed out from the heart that form of doctrine that's for belief and practice which was delivered you. They had to, they had to learn it. They had to be taught it. Now, now, obviously, once we're taught it, we have to learn how to put it into practice. You see this relating to the sin nature. You see in verse 18, it says, Being then made free from, it's articular again in the Greek, being made free from the sin, the sin nature, the sin principle. You became enslaved, uh, the words servants enslaved, uh, uh, to righteousness, acting right before God. And so we can't do that through the sin nature. The sin nature is a bent to doing things lacking in character. And so God has provided this way for us to be free from serving the sin nature. And this, now this doctrine that we have to learn how to put into practice, well, he's kind of told us that earlier in chapter 6. And so let's just take some of the highlights from that. <clears throat> Let me go back first and uh, read Romans 6.2. Because I made reference to the fact that we died to the sin nature. The sin nature didn't die. R- Romans 2 is going to tell you that. Um, God forbid, there's no God uh, in that verse. It's just, may it never be. But... Um, uh, nonetheless, uh, Romans 6.2, how shall we, that says, it says that are dead, uh, it's just it's a verb, that died. How shall we that died to the sin live any longer by it? 
doesn't make sense. It's not logical if we die to it, right? Where did we die to it? In Christ. In Christ. And we'll come back and, and we'll see that. It's, it's imputed to us. Remember, we're imputed to be in Christ by spirit baptism. Imputed means that's God reckons it. He counts it so. And so we're going to see this doctrine that's for belief and practice. To put this into practice, we're going to have to reckon what God reckons. We're going to have to impute what God imputes. And so when we get to Romans 6.11, Romans 6.11 is a good, I like clear and concise. Romans 6.11 concisely explains this. And so... uh, So let's take a look here. And so let me back up to to verse 10 just to pick up a little context. Uh, Talking about Christ, for in that he died, he died unto the sin once. Unto the sin nature once. But in that he lives, he lives unto God. And so... We have to die unto the sin nature to live unto God. Um, We're not going to live unto God through the sin nature. And so he says in verse 11, likewise, impute. Uh, The word reckon, we could translate it impute. Count it to be so. You also, yourselves, to be dead unto the sin nature. Now we have two parts in this verse. Um, so I'm going to point this out uh, again for, for the guys that are learning Greek, that are following along in Greek. We have what's called here in this verse a mende clause. And so men is a particle and de is a, cl- uh, a particle in the Greek. When you have them both in the same clause, a mende clause, it's just pointing out two parts. And essentially, and, and some of the, I could illustrate this in a couple of places where the translators actually uh, show this, but what it's saying is on the one hand, this and on the other hand, this. So that's kind of what we have here in Romans 6.11. He's saying, on the one hand, likewise, impute yourselves indeed to be dead unto the sin nature. God the Father does. So on the one hand, you're going to do this. But that's not the whole thing. That's only one part. Then we get to the other part. On the other hand, alive unto God. Alive unto God. Where? Now, the King James says through, and this is one of the places, uh, uh, this would be a high priority. I, would, uh, I wish the translators here in the King James translated this. It's an end preposition. It's either going to be in or by. It's um, in. It's your, but, uh, so you're going to impute yourselves alive unto God in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so let's just pause there really quickly because we're talking about a mental process here. And so on the one hand, you're going to count yourself dead unto the sin nature. In Christ, you're imputed, you're counted to have died to it. How do you count yourself dead to something? And so here's here's an illustration. Um, Somebody's died. And we have a casket. And we, we have an open casket. And so some of, some of this person's antagonist, antagonists, they come through. And they're going to prod and, and poke 
at this dead person? How is that dead person going to respond? They're not. I hope they're not, because if they do, we're all out of here, right? Uh, and, and so when we're dealing with the sin nature, we have to realize we don't want to count ourselves alive to the sin nature. How would we count ourselves alive to the sin nature? By trying to deal with it in our own strength, by trying to use law <laughs> to deal with the sin nature, we end up inadvertently counting ourselves alive unto the sin nature. Now we're involved in playing whack-a-mole with the sin nature in our own strength. But when we count ourselves dead to it on the one hand, so we're not responding to those desires that lust that come from the flesh, but that's not the end of it. On the other hand, we have to be counting ourselves alive unto God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now how are we going to do that? It's a mental thing. We're going to direct our mind. We're going to use our mind to think on things above. Now, I probably have it in here later, but let's go ahead and make this connection now. Let's go to Colossians 3. This is how we count ourselves alive unto God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Colossians 3.1. So we have a first-class condition in the Greek. Why, why am I saying that? Because... Um, uh, the if there can have the significance of since, and so you know. So you know what I'm doing if I say since you, uh, rather than if. And so the then is actually an un. So it's therefore since you be raised with Christ, since you be co-raised with Christ, how are you co-raised with Christ? It's by imputation. It's because you're in Christ. God the Father counts it to be so. Not only does he count you to have died with Christ, but he counts you to be raised with Christ. So he says, since you're co-risen with Christ, it's talking about in your position in Christ, seek those things which are above where the Christ sits on the right hand of God. And so there's some things because of your position in Christ you can be seeking. Where are you going to seek it? Because you're in Christ, you're going to find it in the word of God. We have a lot of things in the Word of God that deal with our position in Christ. Now, when we get to verse 2, the King James says, set your affection. That word translated affection has the idea of your reflective thinking or your frame of mind. There's a couple different ways we could translate this, but uh, it's an imperative here. Continuously or keep on setting your frame of mind, your reflective thinking on the things above not on the things on the earth. So we find about these things that are imputed to us in Christ, and we're going to keep setting our frame of mind on those things. When we do that, we are taking those beginning steps of cooperating with God and allowing the Holy Spirit to take up the battle with the sin nature. And, and then also making us alive. Filling us with the Holy Spirit. So there's a mental process that's very important that we learn how to begin to put this in practice so we can be free from serving the sin nature. So this is why when, when we talk about we're not under law, we're not under grace, because when we, we live resurrection life, we're living a spiritual life above the sin nature and above the law. <clears throat> 
because we're going to be doing things that are pleasing to God. We're not focused on the things that we shouldn't be doing. <laughs> and, um, and so coming back to uh, Romans chapter 6, let's pick up in verse 12. Romans six twelve, He says, let not the sin reign in your mortal body your physical body that's subject to decay. Let not, and it's the sin. He's talking about the sin nature, the sin principle. Uh, therefore, let not it reign uh, as a king in your mortal body. We no, not, we, we no long, not longer need to let it reign. It can reign if, if we try and do things our own way, but if we do things the way God has provided for us by grace, we can allow the Holy Spirit. It's a supernatural process. Um, and he says uh, uh, that you should obey it in the less thereof. And then he says, neither yield ye, and the idea of yield is present, neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto the sin. You're going to do that by trying to deal with the sin nature in your own strength. But rather yield or present yourselves unto God. How are you going to present yourselves unto God? As those that are alive from the dead, co-raised with Christ, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Um, And so let me drop over to verse 20. And so I I got a little bogged down in this section. That's okay. Uh, This is an important section. I I don't want to... uh, pass over this quickly or go too fast. Uh, let's go to Romans six twenty. Here Paul's explaining. Uh, he says, uh, when you were slaves of the sin nature, uh, you were free with reference to righteousness. <laughs> um, he says, what fruit had you then in those things whereof you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. You know, that's... Uh, uh, the natural uh, uh, consequence f- uh, for acts of sin is, is physical death. But he says in verse 22, he says, But now being made free from the sin, the sin principle, and become slaves to God, servants as are enslaved to God, you have your fruit unto holiness. The word holiness there is sanctification. And the end, the outcome not everlasting life, but is eternal life. Now, when we get to the second message this morning, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But that's the outcome. Eternal life. We've mentioned this last night. Every believer possesses eternal life. How is that? Because of the indwelling eternal one, <laughs> Christ. And so because of Christ indwelling the believer, the believer possesses eternal life. That life can be grasped, it can be experienced, but it can't be manifested through the sin nature. So we're going to see that resurrection life allows eternal life to be lived out. And so we're going to try and touch on some of those things, uh, the second message. Um, Okay, so... I'm going to go ahead and do it. I'm going to go off script. Sorry, Kevin. Um, I just want to point out, just to kind of set this a little bit, 
when we talk about Romans 6 as a, a nice summary verse of that body of doctrine of how we can live free from serving the sin nature. We can't, we're counting ourselves dead unto the sin nature, so we're not responding to it. You know, the sin nature, the flesh wants to do. You know, a lot of times we get a lust from the flesh, and we may want to take that on in our own strength and deal with it. The problem is, is we end up counting ourselves alive unto it, and now we're not dealing just with that one lust, but we're dealing with the whole sin nature. And so this is where law principle can inadvertently sink us in our present tense practice, right? So I just wanted to point out something really quick. I didn't plan to do this, but I want to show, because Paul gives us an example as a Christian uh, that he had to learn this. And so you see this in Romans 7. And I'm going to just drop in... Uh, I could spend the, the next message just here in Romans 7, but I'm just going to hit a highlight here. So in Romans 7, 9, Paul says, For I was alive without law once. And so just uh, the word without is just apart from law. And so what is he talking about? He was alive apart from, from law. He's talking about... Uh, as a spiritual Christian, he was living above the sin nature. He was living above law. Uh, let me just read a verse uh, that might help. Is in uh, Galatians 5.18. It says, If you be led of the Spirit, you are not under law. So in Romans 7.9, Paul says, For I was alive apart from law once, but when the commandment came... Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about dealing with the lust. I didn't uh, develop the context, but the commandment came. He used a law principle, a commandment to deal with the, law, uh, the lust. He actually was counting himself alive then to the sin nature. And so the commandment came. When the commandment came, the sin revived. So again, he's talking about the sin nature. It revived. It came alive again. He had been counting himself dead to it. The commandment came He's counting himself alive to it. Uh, the sin principle revived, and he says, and I died. <laughs> he was, and, and death, the concept of died, death is separation. He was separated uh, from living his resurrection life, living free from serving the sin nature, free from using law to try and curtail the sin nature. And, uh, and here we see in the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. See, there's no problem with law in itself. The law is, uh, well, we could just read scripture in verse 13. Uh, it says, Paul says, what then, that which is good made uh, death unto me, may it never be. See, it's the, there's not a problem with law. In verse 12, he says, Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just and good. The problem is with the sin nature. And so the sin nature responds to law. If you know what a, a, a blacksmith forge is, and so you, know, you, you have coal, and you, that coal is uh, simmering. It's, uh, you know, those... But you have an air blower. And when you use that air blower, you don't use that air blower to put it out. You use that air blower to inflame it. Well, the sin nature is so bad that the sin nature uses law to fire it up. 
it likes to be challenged. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so Paul says in Romans 7, 11, for the sin, talking about the sin principle, taking occasion. It, 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 take, it took a, uh, an opportunity, a, a base of operation through the commandment. He says, it deceived me, it thoroughly deceived me, and through it, it slew me. And so there's a, uh, I like to make that connection, and so uh, uh, just so you can see that, uh, as, as how the sin nature can trick us when it gets us to try and deal with it in our own strength, uh, independent from God. God has provided, though, the way uh, to deal with the sin nature, and it's through this body of doctrine that we refer to as the truth. Now, um, I did that at the expense of going a couple other places. Um, but let's go ahead and um, we'll just skip down to uh, uh, Roman numeral 6. Uh, I want to touch on uh, point uh, B. Uh, in the outline. And I just want to show the example of teachers that confuse house rule for the church and and how this uh, can be a problem for Christians. And so we're going to go to 1 Timothy. And I have to think about this on the fly of how we want to do this because of time. Uh, But let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And this is going to tie in with some things that we talked about last night, by the way. And so I'm going to pick up in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3. And so Paul is making a charge to Timothy. Timothy is in Ephesus. And, uh, and so let's drop into verse 3. Paul says, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that you might, mightest charge some... That they teach no other doctrine. Uh, very interesting word here. It's a Greek compound word. He's to charge some that they stop teaching a different didaskalia. Now, we looked at a word, uh, didache, for doctrine, for belief, and practice. This word didaskalia has to do with doctrine that's for belief and not practice. And so we have some false teachers that Timothy is to charge to stop teaching a different didaskalia. In other words, these teachers were teaching doctrine that should have been for belief only. They were teaching it for practice. And that was derailing Christians. And so Timothy is to charge them to stop doing that. So he says in in verse 4, Neither give heed, the idea of heed is attention, Uh, to fables, the idea of myths, and endless genealogies. Now, the King James doesn't help us here. (laughs) Um, We're going to have to do a little retranslating. But it says, which minister questions. Uh, The word minister is to give give rise. These things give rise to controversial questions, rather than what they should be giving attention to. And... uh, uh, the King James says godly edifying. It's actually, if you had a Greek text, it's actually the word dispensation. Oikonomia, 
oikonomia, that word dispensation. What is oikonomia? Oikos, house. Namas, law. House law. And so what they should have been paying attention to uh, is giving attention to the dispensation of God, uh, which is, or the one by faith, by faith. And so that's, we're talking about the dispensation we live in. We have a house rule. Paul, by the way, is the steward of the dispensation. He's the one charged with this dispensing the house rule of how we're to live in this dispensation of the grace of God. And so there's so much more we could go after in here, um, but we're going to just time-wise move on. It says, now the end of the commandment. The word commandment here is charge. It's the same word uh, that we had in verse 3, translated charge. The end of the charge is agape love. And we have the new commandment to the church. Love one another, Christ said, as I have loved you, as the God-man loved. Uh, quite a standard, but possible for the believer who's supernaturally enabled and filled by the Spirit. And so the end of the charge is agape love out of a pure heart. Uh, the believer can function out from a pure heart when he's living free from the sin nature. And of a good conscience and faith unhypocritical. Faith unfeigned, uh, unfeigned, the idea of unhypocritical. Faith can be faked. But faith as it's produced by the Holy Spirit as part of the fruit, the believer in this dispensation, um, the one by faith can live day to day through faith as he's filled. Now, Law can get in the way of that. We've already talked about how the sin nature responds to law. But let me take you, uh, we're going to come right back here, but let's go to Galatians. Uh, And we're just going to drop into Galatians 3.12. So here's the problem because of the way the sin nature responds to law. There's no problem with law, but see, we're not under law. And we still have a sin nature, and that sin nature is stimulated by law. We have to understand that. And so in Galatians 3.12, Paul tells us, and the law is not of faith. It, it, and it's, it's an ek preposition. It's not out from faith as to source. But rather, the man doing them shall live by them. <laughs> now, that's a problem in this dispensation the one that's by faith. Because if you're using law to live by, you see, you try to do, that's your own strength. That righteousness that comes from law is self-righteousness. We have the potential to live in Christ's righteousness, which is far, far better. And so, um, just to make that connection. Now, coming back to 1 Timothy, you know, these false teachers that were mixing up some house rule for the Christian. Um, He says in verse 6, from which some, uh, some that are teaching this different didascalia, coming back to 1 Timothy 1.6, from which some, having swerved. Uh, The word swerved uh, here, it has the idea of they've missed the mark. They're missing their aim. The end of the charge is agape love. 
But some, they've missed the mark, and they, they have turned aside unto vain jangling, talking. Uh, the word uh, uh, vain, it kind of has the idea of useless. <laughs> useless talking. And then we see desiring to be teachers of the law. They're teaching a different doctrine for house rule that doesn't apply to us. And so they're desiring to be teachers of the law. And then Paul says, understanding neither what they say, they don't understand it, they don't have a comprehension, neither whereof they affirm. And the word affirm is they they confidently assert. And so there's no lack of confidence and boldness in their claim but it's going to derail the Christian by living by grace. And, um, and, and so, you know, that body of doctrine, the truth, uh, and so it's not always easy to discern where in Scripture um, it's referring to the doctrine. When you see the articular use of the truth, when you see closely in the context reference to works of the flesh, uh, that would be a good indication that it's probably in reference to the truth of that body of doctrine of how we have victory over the sin nature. Um, let me end this message uh, in Second Timothy four two. Second Timothy, this is Paul's. Uh, we'll say, call it his swan song. This is. Uh, He's on the verge of being uh, uh, of executed here mm-hmm. and when he writes this epistle to Timothy. And he says here in 4.2, preach the word. Talking about the word of God. And the word preach, it's a strong word in the Greek. It's herald with authority. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering suffering. And this word for doctrine is didache, doctrine for belief and practice. What's for the believers in this household of God, the body of Christ? He's telling him to do this, herald the word with all long suffering and doctrine for belief and practice. Now he's going to explain something. There's a, a, a prophetic warning in view. And so in the Greek, we have an explanatory gar. You see it translated at four, and it's connecting it to the statement. He says, four, uh, the time will come. And the idea of time here is the season, the appointed time. The season will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They, they, they won't endure healthy didascalia, doctrine that's only for belief. But rather, strong contrast here, after their own lusts, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. <laughs> it's not the easiest thing to live by grace because we have to understand we can't do it in our own strength. The flesh wants to do. <laughs> and so here we see, um, you know, some are going to... Uh, uh, they're not going to endure. They're not going to bear with healthy didascalia, but rather 
after their own strong desires, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth. Now, I believe he's using the truth here and not, not just seeing things as they really are, but I think he's talking about a body of doctrine for belief and practice, for the believer to have victory over the sin nature. And so, they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and they shall be turned unto fables, myths, things that aren't the way they really are, but people, you know, you give people law, they can see law, they can do law, they can feel good about what they do because they're earning a form of self-righteousness, but they're not going to be living by grace and the privileges that we have uh, because of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. And so, anyway, uh, we do have a potential to relate to truth. Jesus Christ is the personification, if you will, the embodiment of truth. Uh, As we relate to God's word, we're relating to truth. Uh, What God wants us to do is to take him at, at his word and to direct faith. We need to be spiritual, to be filled by the spirit, to have faith, to be directing daily. And so um, we'll go ahead and uh, uh, we'll we'll pause here and we'll come back for uh, our next message in 10 minutes. And I will try and shorten that one a little.